All right, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Well, as we've seen so far uh, in our study here in chapter 6, Paul has used uh, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to show believers that we too, that the church, through our faith in Christ, have actually experienced the same. You see, because verse 3 says we have been baptized, or actually it literally means immersed, we have been immersed into Christ because, as then verse 5 says, we are united with Christ. Okay, What Christ has experienced through his death and resurrection, spiritually speaking, was as if we experienced it as well. Beginning in verse 2, just to do a short review here, Beginning in verse 2, Paul said that we died to sin. When we placed our faith in Christ and when we surrendered ourselves to him, our old self died. Okay? In other words, the power of sin is no longer dominating our lives. We no longer have to live in sin. Matter of fact, Peter told us that we are now partakers of the divine nature. He also told us that we are a people belonging to God. It says he called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Paul, of course, tells us something we all know, and that is that we are new creations in Christ. And so we died, folks. We are not who we used to be, Paul says. Now, this took place, of course, because uh, Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And therefore, as Paul has defined it, it's as if we died and we rose again. Look at verses 3 and 4 real quick. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now remember, as I discussed last week, we were, quote, as he says, baptized, we were immersed into Christ and therefore we were identified with Christ. It's as if we died. We were buried and we rose, okay? I already stated how we died to sin as it tells us in verse two. Verse three says that we were immersed into his death. And then it says in verse four, as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. Now, when I said that, I hope you understood that there's a, there's a, um, a correspondence there, okay? There's the physical resurrection of Christ, but it corresponds with our new life, okay? Verse 4 says, as Christ was raised from the dead, his literal physical resurrection, it says we too may live a new life, okay? Or as MacArthur puts it, our old life died, so a new one was necessarily born. I mean, that, to me, that just reminds me of verse 2, where once again it says, we died to sin. But then it says, remember what he said? He says, how can we live in it any longer? 
Or you can reverse that if you want. How can we live in sin any longer? We've died to sin, right? And this makes sense now because Paul says in verse 4, we have, we as believers have a new life in Jesus Christ. Similarly, he said in verse 5, he said, now, the first word is if. You should cross that word if out. I said this last week. Uh, it actually should be translated since. Okay, if is a hypothetical. Uh, since is a fulfilled condition, meaning it's true. It already happened, and this is. He says, since we have been united with him. It's not if, it's since. We know that's a fact. Since we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Now, as I stated last week, please don't forget the context that we are going through. Yes, without a doubt, our physical bodies will one day be raised to life just like Jesus's was. But that is not the direction that he's going. He's talking about, as he has been talking about, our new life in Christ and certainly how that is exemplified by how we live the lives that we live every day. You might just simply say, we live the resurrected life, okay? Notice the connection, I mentioned this a minute ago, but it's very important. Notice the connection from the previous verse, verse four, right? It says, Christ was raised from the dead, therefore we too may live a new life. It didn't say Christ was raised from the dead, therefore we're raised from the dead. It says Christ was raised from the dead, therefore we live a new life. Life, very practical, very every day. And so the key to this is simply that we have been transformed. We have died to sin. We died and rose with Christ. And therefore, we are not who we used to be. Matter of fact, Paul makes this much clearer as you read verses 6 and 7. He says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died, or you can also say anybody who has been crucified, you can put that way too if you like, has been freed from sin. And so first he says here, there's the old self. Okay, which, as you can see in that verse, he connects with the body of sin, which Paul says is a slave to sin. Okay? This obviously is simply our old, unregenerate self. This is who we were before Christ. Okay? But on the flip side, Paul speaks of a different person. Not a physically different person, but a spiritually different person. This person in the verse there was crucified with Christ, okay? And therefore, he says, no longer a slave to sin. Why is that? Well, he says in verse 7, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, that does not mean you'll never sin anymore, okay? Because that ain't the truth. It means since our old self died, we are no longer under the bondage of sin. We no longer live our lives in sin. We don't habitually just keep going in sin. Okay? There is a radical difference, folks, from the old man, what we call the old man, our old self, to the new self. Okay? 
Last week, if you remember, I used myself as an example and I explained my own personal experience when I came to faith in Jesus Christ and how, of course, he had changed me. Okay, And I would challenge anybody and everybody in this room, if, if you call yourself a Christian but you've never had a changed life, right? There's no difference in you now as you then. Uh, you need to do what Paul said. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, you need to examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. You think, well, that's pretty rough. Well, it is, but it needs to be said. Paul saw the lifestyle that was going on in the Corinthian church, which, by the way, was pretty messed up. And he just looks at it and says, look at guys, you need to examine yourself. You need to see if you're saved. You need to examine yourself. Do you know Christ? And sometimes I think it's something that people need to do uh, not that anybody wants to do that, because what do you mean? That's, that's, of course I'm a Christian. You know, people get defensive at that. But if there's never been a change, there's a problem, because there is no such thing as an unchanged Christian. That is an oxymoron. Well, at that point, we finished up last week in verse 8. And verse 8 says, Now, and once again, that word if, you should have a line through it. It should say since. Now, since we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. So as we have discussed uh, thus far, Paul is speaking of what literally happened to Christ in his death, right? And how spiritually speaking, we as believers in Christ are united with him. We died with Christ, Paul says. And therefore to go with that, we didn't just die we were told also that we were raised with him. Verse 5 says, we have been united with him in his death, and we have also been united with him in his resurrection. As I stated a, a couple of minutes ago, since that is connected to verse 4, he's talking about us being raised to a new life. Okay, that's very practical. Okay? His physical resurrection corresponds with our new life in Christ. Why am I reminding you of that? Well, because if you simply just read verse 8 all by itself, it's easy, as you take anything out of its context, it's easy to think, oh, well, Paul just jumped to the future. Okay? Now, even though we know what he says is true, uh, we will one day live with him. There's no question about that, okay? But staying, once again, with the context, living with him is more so living with respect to him. Or as Kenneth Wiest uh, says in his Greek word studies, he says we will live by means of him, okay? This is kind of what Paul uh, says in a, in a verse we all know very well, uh, or at least you've heard of it many times, and that is Galatians 2.20. Because remember, Paul starts off by saying, I have been crucified with Christ, right? But then he goes on and talks about his life, his daily living. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, but I, Paul, no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he simply talks about he died, he was crucified with Christ, but now there's a new life, isn't there? It's somebody different. It's like saying, I, I, I have died or I've been crucified with Christ, and now he lives in, but also through me. Christ lives 
through me. Okay? All right. Well, I, I hope that kind of brings everybody's minds back into the context as we're going to pick up this morning and we're just going to move into verses 9 and 10 where Paul here is going to be speaking specifically about Christ, okay? But ultimately, what he's saying here is, since we are united with Christ, since we were, as he calls, immersed into Christ, he's, he's going to be talking about how everything ultimately applies to us as well. So a lot's going to be said. We'll talk about this today, about Christ and what he's doing, but also it applies to you and me. Because that's his whole point. We are in Christ. We were crucified, risen again with Christ. We were immersed into Christ. And that's been his whole point so far. Okay. Well, let's see what he says about Christ. And let's read. Uh, I'm going to read verse 8, but then we'll go right into verse 9. Okay. Verse 8 says, Since we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For or because... We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Now, knowing, folks, that we will live with him one day, in addition to the fact that we live our lives today with respect to him, uh, it's, it's, it's not questionable. Okay. Matter of fact, he, he says here that we can have, that we the church, we believers can have the utmost confidence. You'll notice there in verse 8, he says, we believe this. And then he says in verse 9, we know this. Okay, It's important. We, we have confidence in these things. Okay, Listen, folks, from verse 2 forward here in chapter 6, Paul has told us that we've died with Christ, that we have been raised with Christ. Verse 5, once again, we've been united with him in his death. We've also been united with him in his resurrection. Throughout this passage so far, what has been applied to Christ, Paul has, spiritually speaking, applied it to us, the church, as well. Okay? Listen, folks, this is a done deal because believers, uh, because I should say, uh, it's already been completed in Christ. It's a done deal for the believer because it's already been completed in Christ. Okay, this is a fact. Paul began verse 8. I just read it by saying, since we died with Christ. That, that's done, right? Since we have died with Christ, okay? Since that is the case, our old life is gone, right? Verse 2 told us that, right? Verse 2 said we died to sin. Verse 3 says we were immersed into his death, right? Therefore, we will live to honor him today just as much as we will live with him one day in the future. Okay? It's important. We will live to honor him in our lives today, and we look forward to one day living with him in the future. Folks, we must understand our relationship with Christ began the day we placed our faith in him. Our faith in Christ isn't just about, hey, where am I going to go when I die? It's about the here and the now. It's about today. See, Paul says in verse 8, we believe this. Okay, but here's why. Now listen, here's why. Verse 9. 
for we know, that word know obviously speaks of assurance, doesn't it? He says, we know this, we are assured of this, listen, since Christ was raised from the dead. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Okay? So there's three things there that I I obviously need to mention. Number one, he says there was a confidence that Christ was raised from the dead. Okay? Folks, Paul and his cohorts did not just hope that Jesus was raised. Okay? They didn't, they, they, they didn't believe this simply because their buddies told them, hey, did you hear about what happened with Jesus? It's really cool. That's not why they believed. Christ said that he would die. Christ said that he would rise again three days later. And for that matter, there was ample evidence of that. Okay? After, this is very important, after his resurrection, as you know, Jesus appeared to many people. It wasn't, like, it wasn't like Jesus was hiding behind the building and, hey, Peter, it's me, I rose, thumbs up, and that was it. It's nothing like that. We know through all the different areas, and by the way, if you want the verses for these, you can come up to me, I'll give you the verses later. But we know that after his resurrection, we know Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. We know that he also appeared to what scripture just called other women. He also appeared to just Peter. He also just appeared to the 10 disciples, and then later he appeared to the 11 disciples because he added Thomas to that, okay? He appeared to all those people right at his his ascension. They're all seeing him because there he is, the risen Lord, right? You guys know he also appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He also appeared to his disciples in Galilee. He appeared, it says, to James and the apostles, We all know that he appeared to the Apostle Paul, right? Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, the risen Lord had appeared to Paul. And of course, in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, which is kind of the resurrection chapter, it says he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. All of these are after his resurrection, okay? Jesus Christ defeated death. Many people know that, okay? Which, by the way, means so will we. Jesus Christ defeated death, so will we, okay? Number two, still here in verse nine, Paul says, since Christ was raised from the dead, we know, he says, that he cannot die again. Now, notice he doesn't say, I don't believe he'll die again. He says he cannot. Why is that? Because there will be no other occasion for the atonement of sin. Let me say that again. There will be no other occasion for the atonement of sin. I'll make this very clear, folks. This is super, super important. The death of Christ was sufficient If you write anything down, write that down. The death of Christ was sufficient. In theology, we would simply say it is the sufficiency of the cross. Okay? That's why the atonement on the cross is an essential of the Christian faith. It's not a secondary issue. That's an essential. Okay? And he was sufficient. 
okay? And let me just say, it's not sufficient just simply because a bunch of men in the, 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 in the first century said so, okay? God himself, this is important, I don't think we think about this, God himself is the one who sent Jesus to die, okay? He was the one who sent him to die. He knew there was no other, there was nobody else who could pay the sin debt. Okay? Nobody else, not even one, not one single person could have died for our sin. None. Nobody was sufficient. And that's why God sent Christ knowing he was sufficient. He didn't send Christ to do a work that he couldn't fulfill. All right? All right, Jesus, do the best you can here. I'm counting on you, buddy. That's kind of ridiculous. God Almighty, God the Father, sent God the Son to die on a cross because he knew he was the only one who could. Nobody else could pay for our sin. None. Right? It is sufficient. Matter of fact, right here in Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Once again, God, God the Father, God presented him, meaning Christ, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Okay? Now, some of you might have the word propitiation there instead of sacrifice of atonement. Okay? Uh, the word propitiation simply means that God was propitiated. Okay? Simply mean God was satisfied. God was satisfied with Christ's debt death as a payment for our sin. God was propitiated. God was satisfied with what Jesus did as payment for our sin. Okay? God is the one, if for lack of better terms, God is the one who gave his stamp of approval and said Jesus' death is sufficient. I will accept the death of Christ on behalf of all these people. He didn't have to do that. That's grace, by the way. But God sent him because he was the only one. See, matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, he says, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Many of you know that part of the verse, but we want to keep going. He says, because of that, he says, here's the love of God. He says, because he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not a propitiation, the propitiation for our sins. No one else could do it. Only Jesus was sufficient. Folks, listen to me because this is important as well. That's why you cannot add anything, anything to the cross of Christ. Do we understand that? Anything. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's, you, you must be baptized to be saved. Baloney. You know what, folks? That's heresy. Do you understand me? That's heresy. It's heresy because what you're saying is that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't sufficient. Okay? That also makes God to be a liar. So if you think you can add anything, whether it be your works, whether it be baptism, whether it be some sacrament, whatever it is, that's heresy. That's bringing down Jesus to a lower level. You're saying what he did on the cross wasn't good enough. God says, oh yeah, it is. And that's why I sent him and him alone. See. Number three, 
still in verse 9. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he says death no longer has mastery over him. Now, by saying that, that means at one time he, it did, right? It says it no longer has mastery over him. That means for a short period of time, it did, but not anymore, see? You might, you might kind of just put it this way and say death had, had a temporary control. But listen to me, that's only because God allowed it. Okay? Listen to John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Jesus talking here. He says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Folks, who is in control here? Right? Death, if you will, did not take the life of Christ. He gave it up. And of course, for that matter, he gave it up for only three days. And of course, at that point, what was prophesied about his death was completed. Right? Death could no longer hold him, as the scripture says. You know, it's almost as if Jesus says, it's three days, I'm out of here. Nobody can stop me because I have the ability to take myself up. He just said that in John 10. This is why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where is it? Where, death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? See, Death could not hold Christ. Matter of fact, Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus said, I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. Hence, I will never die again. Right? Forever and ever. Death has no mastery over him because he paid the sin debt in full. Do we know that? Death has no mastery over him because he paid the sin debt in full, folks. What are those three little words that Jesus uttered before he gave up his life? What are they? It is finished. Very good. The Greek word, just one word, is tetelestai. It simply means the debt has been paid in full. Hence the word, it's finished. It's paid. It's over. Which is, by the way, why the curtain was torn from, from, uh, from top to bottom. Right? right? Right there at the Holy of Holies. It's done. And then he gave up his life. It is finished. And look at what we're told in Hebrews. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews. Those of you who thought I was going to give a 20-minute sermon, doesn't happen here. Look at, look at three passages. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He starts off by saying here, the Son, this, this is a great point of the deity of Christ, but he starts off saying the Son is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being, 
sustaining all things by his powerful word. Listen, after he had provided purification for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So after Jesus provided for the purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Move over to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says the point of what the point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest, speaking of Christ. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And I'm just I'm, I'm not going to be exhaustive, but I want to read those two, but I want to read one more. Just turn a couple chapters to chapter 10. You can spend months in chapter 10. Matter of fact, we probably did when we studied this. In Hebrews chapter 10, um, let me just start in verse 9. It says, then he said, he's speaking of Christ, then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. That means he set aside the first covenant, the old covenant, Right? In order to establish the first covenant, what we call the new covenant. Right? You set the one aside in order to establish the new covenant, which is what we live with today. Verse 10, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and he performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices. Look at what he says. Which can never take away sins. Folks, they can only cover those sins. Could never take them away. It says, but they never take away sins. But listen to verse 12. But when this priest, this is Christ, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. Many of you already know this. Why did he sit down? Because he was done. Because he was finished, hence the word. He's finished. It's, it's over. It's over. Okay? The sin debt was paid. He will never need to die again, folks, for the sins of those who repent and, and place their faith in Jesus Christ because they have now been fully paid for, past, present, and future. As it says here, the other priests, when you go back to the Old Covenant, how many by the millions of animals were sacrificed over and over and over and over and keep going? Even on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, right? It didn't end in one. Every, every year, same thing. Every next year, next year, next year, they had to keep doing it. But with Jesus Christ, it was done. When he sat down, it's because he's finished. You know, there was no chair in the temple there because there was never no need for it. Their job never ended. It was constant. Those sacrifices were constant. Jesus did it, done, over. Finished. He sat down. Now listen, folks, because this is, this is ultimately uh, what Paul is trying uh, to get across here, um, 
because we died with Christ, I mentioned earlier, because we have been raised with Christ, those are in verses 3 through 5, we too, remember this is applies to us, we too, he's saying, shall not die. Death does not and will not have mastery over us either. Okay? That's the context, and we'll see that next time as well. But it doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have it over us as well. We are not mastered by death. Oh yeah, we're going to die physically, but we don't die spiritually. Okay? We are instantly ushered into the presence of God. We all know 2 Corinthians 5.8, right? To be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. To be this is to be this. To be absent from here is to be here. So our body is, is simply a shell. So we just decided to cut loose on the shell, and boom, we're in the presence of God. Oh yeah, we're going to die physically, but, but who cares? Because all that is is ushering us to God. It's victory for us. It's not, ooh, I gotcha, you died. But, but death for us is victory. Death for us is ushering us to where we will be for all eternity. Being in, I wouldn't want to be in this body, in this mess for eternity. This is 70, 80 years compared to being with the Lord forever. See, death doesn't hold us just like with Christ. See, death is our spiritual victory. Now, as we move into verse 10, I promise we won't take as long as verse 10 or we'd be here for a long time and Frida would be chewing me out on back there. But now we move to verse 10. Paul's going to make one more statement about Christ's death and then we'll end the verse with a declaration of his life. Let me turn back to my text here. Verse 10, it says, The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Folks, I hope you understand this, but Jesus Christ came into this world for one reason. You know what that is? To die. Okay? He came into this world to die. You know, look at when he was in this world, there are many parables that we can look upon, many things he did as Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, we can look back on as examples, and those are all great. But he came for the purpose of dying. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15 that Christ came into this world to save sinners. And of course, as you know, that is through his death. He came into this world. Why? To save sinners. Which, by the way, that's you and me. John 3.16. We all know John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his only son. What did he give his son to do? Die. One verse later, John 3, 17, he was sent to save the world. All that is only through one single event, to die. To die. See, despite the fact that there are uh, many naysayers in the world, they don't believe that Jesus died. Um, many of them Many of them simply don't believe in his resurrection, as you know. They want to deny the resurrection, right? You want to overcome Christianity? We'll deny the resurrection. If he didn't rise, they'll just say, well, that's because he never died. That's just kind of some easy out. But there are many naysayers. Ah, Jesus never died. 
right? But the facts of history tell us otherwise. The witnesses tell us otherwise. And most importantly, the millions of changed lives tell us otherwise. See, dead men don't change other people's lives. Dead men who rise and who happen to be the Messiah, well, they do, see? Secondly, in verse 10, Paul tells us why he died, and as we all know, and that is because of sin, okay? As I've said many times in this church, there's only one thing that stops people from going to heaven, just one, sin, sin. Sin will be paid for, no matter how you look at it. It's only going to be one of two people. It's going to be the sinner in hell, or it'll be Christ on the cross. Which one will it be? That's it. Those are our choices. I'll pay for it myself, or I'm going to allow Christ to pay for it. See, But it is sin, folks. That's the problem. Dying to sin, though, as he says here, he bore our penalty. He bore our penalty. We all know the wages of sin is what? It's death. The consequences for sin is death. Okay? The fact that Jesus was, still is, God, he just simply wrapped himself in human flesh, means we all know that it wasn't death for his sin because he didn't have any. Right? He had none. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And that should not surprise anybody because being God, he couldn't sin. He couldn't sin. It's not even in his nature to sin. Okay? Matter of fact, James chapter 1, verse 13 tells us he can't even be tempted by sin. It's not in his nature, folks. He's not like us. He's simply, he's God, which is how I phrase this, who wrapped himself in flesh and bones but he's God. See, he was sinless. Jesus died for our sins. Matter of fact, that was even prophesied way back 700 years in Isaiah 53, right? He was pierced for our transgressions, right? He was crushed for our iniquities. I like going through that text and making an emphasis on that. It's what he did for us. It's what he did for us. And it keeps going back and forth. It's his debt, our payment. See, our problem. And then thirdly, when he did die for sin, Paul says he did it once for all. Once and for all. And by the way, just as a side note, that stands in direct opposition to Catholicism, which teaches the doctrine of the perpetual sacrifice of Christ in Mass. Which is, by the way, it's why there's a, a crucifix. Christ is still on the cross. Well, Christ rose, case last time I checked. But they keep him there because they believe every Mass, he's just re-sacrificed. Well, the Bible says just the opposite. See? Matter of fact, the book of Hebrews, similar to what I read earlier, makes this point many times. I'll just read these off so you don't have to turn there for the sake of time. But in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 and 27, he says, such a high priest, this is speaking of Christ as the high priest, the great high priest, such a high priest meets our need. 
one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other high priests, he does not need he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people. He sacrificed for sins once for all when he offered himself. Kind of reminds you of that it is finished thing. Once and done, right? Once for all. Hebrews 9, 12. He did not enter, meaning enter, he did not enter into the holy of holies, or he didn't enter into the most holy place. He did not enter there by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood. Okay, once and for all by his own blood, listen to this, having obtained eternal redemption. Think of that word for a second, eternal redemption. That's a good definition of once and for all, right? How's that for a once and done? <laughs> His victory over death never needs to be repeated. Never. It wasn't like, oh, shoot, I miss those people. Hmm. Didn't happen. And lastly this morning, and we are over, no shock, after mentioning his death numerous times, we end with the statement, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Having been raised from the dead, never to die again, I mentioned it earlier, Revelation chapter 1. Remember, behold, I am alive forever and ever. He does one thing, folks, and that is to bring glory to God. Even after, um, I'm going to skip some of my notes, but even after um, on earth, Okay, before uh, his death, as you know, he still lived to glorify God. He said that in John 17 when he prayed to the Father, right? On this earth, by the time I'm here, I came to do your will to bring you glory. And he did that. He did that by coming and dying and sacrificing himself. But he continued. Now, his focus, for lack of better terms, his focus wasn't on paying for sin. Now it's, it's to bring glory to God for all eternity. Right? He's fulfilled the reason for his coming. And now he will continue to live for God. Well, folks, this was a lot of really, in my opinion, a lot of great information about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as I said prior, uh, after verse 9, I will say it again at the close now of verse 10. Because we died with Christ, because we rose with Christ, because he says we are united with Christ, what has happened to him in this text has also happened to us, spiritually speaking. Okay? So as Christ died to sin, we are also to remember that we also died to sin. And just like Christ, it was once and done. It was once and done. And saying that, we don't live in sin, do we? We don't live in sin. We live with an understanding that we have a new life in Christ. Okay? Christ lives to God. We live for God. 
And this is going to flow, by the way, right into the next verses, which are verses 11 through 14, where the very first words that Paul says are, in the same way, in other words, he's telling the church, just like Jesus, right? And that, of course, is his whole thing. Just like Jesus, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. So you can see the point he'll bring up in our next section where this one, you can kind of look at it as just, oh, Paul's talking about a lot of theology. Well, maybe he is to a point, but there's a reason. The very next verse will tell us that. He says, same thing with Jesus. I want to see the same thing with you. And he'll begin to talk about our lives, our daily walk with Christ, our being dead to sin. And we kind of begin to talk about that issue of sanctification, right? Remember the first five chapters of Romans dealt with justification. Chapters six through eight are dealing with more so with sanctification. And we'll begin to see a lot more of that in the next few verses. So I, I hope that you guys will be here for that. Uh, let's pray before I get yelled at. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time today in your word. Um, Lord, sometimes it's, it's, as I said earlier, it's, it's difficult. These are a lot of things that are are, are quite different than simply reading some easy translation, and it, it's all good. Forgive your brother, be nice to somebody else, and so and so, and all good things, but uh, Lord, a lot of deeper things are talked about in Romans, and we want to know them the best we can. And so we do thank you that we can, that we have your word, number one. We thank you that we can go through it verse by verse, piece by piece. We don't have to be in a hurry because we want to know what it means. And so we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the time today. And we pray that for everybody here. Um, the scriptures, as Dave was sharing this morning, is something that we love. Um, Lord, as a born-again believer in Christ, we should love your word. We should love you, and certainly we should love the church. And we pray, Lord, that uh, the scriptures would be a, a huge part of this as we would continue our study. We want to know more. We want to know you more. We want to know your scriptures more because, Lord, all those times put together, we believe your word will change our lives. Sanctification, maturation, all these things happen because the word of God through your Holy Spirit makes a massive difference with who we are. And may you continue to change each and every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen.